0: Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole Podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Hello, welcome to another episode of Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw. And today I'm interviewing Dr. Natalie Martinek, a scientist and spiritual healer. Now, Natalie received a PhD in developmental biology from the University of Toronto and then followed this by a postdoc. Postdoctoral uh, studies in cancer research at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. And she realised her intuitive capabilities were better suited to helping people directly. So she underwent further personal and professional development in health communication, psychosomatic and spiritual healing, to name a few. She's currently writing a book based on her research findings to humanise the healthcare system and how to create and maintain the conditions that maximise healing in healthcare settings. She cleverly bridges ancient and universal wisdom with scientific theory into practices that help people to sustain healthy relationships with both themselves, their work, and others so that they can be the peace that they want to see in the world and teach others how to be that too. Amazing. Hey, Natalie, great to have you on the podcast. How are you today?
1: So good. Thank you so much for having me, Claire.
0: Thank you so much for um, joining us. Now, I met Natalie about a year ago at a Wealthy Living and Collective Wisdom event in Melbourne, and I was instantly drawn to her message and her beautiful spirit. And something that really intrigues me about Nat is the way that she balances the scientific and the spiritual, which I think is an ability that I've found with people that I've met to be quite unusual. So I'd love to hear from you, Nat. Have you always had a spiritual inkling, or has there been a definitive moment, or maybe series? in your life
1: that led you down this path? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question because, um, you know, I was brought up Jewish and there's lots of beautiful spiritual teachings within Judaism, but it wasn't really the lens that I was brought up in. It was more of the theory, the scriptures, the commandments, the rules. Mm. And then as I got older, I, you know, was questioning my relationship with this spiritual thing or a being that we call God and um you know i never really uh was sure about that connection because i wasn't clear that i had evidence that a connection even existed or there was god you know uh, more than what i was taught to believe and when i started to um start my grad sc- my grad st- graduate studies doing my phd it was it felt like i needed to not have any spiritual thoughts or interests because it just wasn't where science, as a scientist, you you know, everything is hard facts, things that your senses can pick up on, and that's what's real. Yeah. That's where the evidence is. And it wasn't until I went to Israel when I was um, 25 that that's when I started to have more of these spiritual experiences. And it was like I felt a connection to a land that I hadn't remembered ever being <laughs> in and connection to people and just – wisdom, just having access to wisdom or knowing, but couldn't verbalize. The same thing happened to me when I went to Spain, to areas where there was um, history of Jewish communities that were studying more of the esoteric or mystical aspects of Judaism. And I would go to these locations and I didn't know I was going to them. I would just end up there and discover that that location was central, a central area of this study in this community. And I would just couldn't leave the space. It felt so familiar and I felt so connected to that area. And again, all these ideas started to come to me that I never studied before. It was just unknowing. And Mm -hmm. so that awakened, these experiences sort of awaken interest, but I didn't know how to channel it. I didn't know there was anything I could do with it. I had to go back to my science and stick with that. And but obviously they impacted me because I couldn't stop thinking about it throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And I started to do more and more interest in my intuition started to open up more. I just knew what was going on for people before they even shared the story of what was going on for them. And I would know things that they weren't even sure about until I would suggest something. And they're like, Oh yeah. You know, so I had a natural gift to understand people. I just didn't have training and I just didn't know what that was about. So Eventually, I started to accept that I had more spiritual interest and wanted to explore that more because the interests that I had been engaged in weren't fulfilling for me. They felt really empty and incomplete. So that's Mm -hmm. how it all happened. So I never rejected one or the other. It's just kind of been learning how to integrate different aspects, different knowledge, the the knowledge you receive versus the knowledge you learn through your senses. And so um, eventually, it's become me.
0: Mm, beautiful. So, yeah. What an incredible journey to have taken as well. And, um, I think what's so beautiful is that you haven't rejected one for the other.
1: There wasn't a rejecting or a blending because I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I just saw everything as learning and like philosophy and new ideas. So when I, when you, I started to become more interested in spirituality or energy and, you know, the things that, uh, you don't see in a, Science textbook, or in your scientific circles, I would start to become critical of science. I would start to see it for its limitations versus uh, the way it's been represented to me as the be-all and end-all in the path to towards truth. And you know, I'd been using science as a way to understand the universe and the mysteries, but I saw I started to understand its limitations, and the limitations being that it's not considering you know, spirit or the the greater whole or the universe beyond what the physical senses can pick up. Mm. So it was not a rejection. It was more a criticism and recognition of the limitations of both ways of both spirituality and science. And then starting to realize, hey, we're actually saying the same thing. We're just using different language to um, express these ideas. So I became interested in how do we find the connection? What is the connection between these two worlds? And are we actually dealing with two worlds or different aspects of the same world?
0: Ah, So interesting coming to that kind of conclusion that we are speaking about the same thing. It's just a different take. It's just a different perspective on things. Mm. Really, really amazing. Um, so with, with this path that you've taken, um, have you experienced um, sort of challenges along the way as you, uh, as a scientist, going towards kind of like exploring the spiritual side of things? Did you experience challenges either from your family or colleagues um, in terms of kind of looking at things in this way as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it all started to come apart when I became a mother. Mm. And, um, and I was working during my postdoc in cancer research, and I started to have different priorities because we can't control everything. Mm. We can't, you know this best when you, when you become a parent, there's nothing in your control. So I was in a science where you're doing studies where there are controls and you're controlling for things and you're trying to uh, be certain about things that are completely unpredictable and uncertain. And when there is some predictability, I think we start to rely on it because we feel safe and secure. And then that becomes a problem. And um, so I started to dabble in interest beyond the academic world. What what's what exists beyond academia? What if I stopped being a scientist because I was, you know, already feeling burnt out and not fulfilled by it and becoming disillusioned with the whole industry, I was Considering well, what are my options? What could I do without having to go through another degree in mm. more school? Because so I had enough. Um, what can I how can I apply these talents and get mentored to help me hone them, hone these skills in a in a useful way? And so then I started reading. And of course that becomes dangerous because then you start to question everything and and so I started to look at science and, like I said before, criticized and really see the holes and the biases. And um, eventually I got so burnt out and um, disillusioned that I just had to leave. And so my whole adult life to that point was about my status or my identity as a scientist and working in an academic setting. And I thought that that would be my life, my future. And so I started to unravel. And eventually I hit a point where I just could no longer see myself in that environment. As a scientist, I had to leave because it was just draining and I felt like a part of me was dying and it was a ton of suffering. And I still looked at, started to look at healing and energy and you know, what's out there? What, what are, what are things that explain phenomena that is beyond the scientific academic setting that I'm in? And you know, that, opened a can of worms. So I wanted to learn everything. I read about Reiki and chakras and sound healing and, you know, all the stuff. And then I thought, wow, I'm overwhelmed now. There are so many <laughs> things that I could do. There must be one thing that incorporates everything because if there is this idea of spirituality or energy, then there must be a way that we can harness this energy and use it in amazing ways that you read about in like, you know, ancient Atlantean times and you know civilizations are now past but there was something that was happening then but people were being used as tools for healing so I wanted to know there must be one thing that I could learn that would help me help others in a way that's beyond our standard conventional way of looking at health and um, I then decided that I needed to leave my job and hang up my lab coat. And when I did that, um, I ended up going through a very deep depression. So that was probably the most challenging time in my life because I didn't see it coming. I knew I was pretty burnt out, but I didn't have words to describe that. I didn't acknowledge it because I think everyone around me was feeling that too. So it was sort of normal. (laughs) It's normal to be stressed. It's normal to feel unfulfilled. And as I was leaving, before I left, I'd be questioning everything. And I was telling people what my plans were. And people were getting interested, but then they're like, yeah, I want to leave too, but I don't know what else to do. And everyone's so afraid of trying something different and experimenting mm-hmm. with life. And naturally, especially if you have a mortgage and a family, and you know, you've know, you kind of become dependent on that way of life to support you. So people were fascinated with me, but at the same time, they became judgmental because they're like, what are you doing? You're throwing away your all this training, your life. You worked so hard and for it'll be all for nothing. And I was like, "Well, I need to discover that for myself. This is yeah. my life, and this isn't working for me." So I had to deal with that criticism from my parents. You know, this—you know—is part of my membership to the Jewish community to be a doctor of some kind. <laughs> and I thought I might lose my membership. <laughs> but you know, there's—it's a pride in the family or a pride in the community. Which is strange, but a thing. And 've succeeded in this or this success according to how other people view success but it wasn 't that important to me anymore mm. and so yeah I left experienced depression and it was really short depression compared to how others experience it but I knew that this wasn 't permanent for me I knew that it was a horrific thing um, that it wouldn 't be easy to get out of but it wasn 't something I felt I needed medication or therapy for mm. I just needed help i just didn 't know where to turn because I I was fearful of seeing a doctor and having to be put on medication. I've seen so many people around me on medication I could, and I saw what it would do to them. It would make them, you know, emotionally balanced, but I felt part of them was missing, like they weren't fully there and they didn't know they were fully, weren't fully there, but my experience of them had changed before and after um, or during being on medication. So I just didn't see that as a pathway for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I had to, you know, think of different ways to help me out of it while not having any energy to do anything different. So I was in a catch twenty two situation until one day, I shook my fists to the heavens and screamed at God or whatever was there because <laughs> I'd lost <laughs> faith in all of that too. And um, I just screamed to whatever was in my room that you know I demand I demand my life. I didn't come all the way from Canada to Australia to live like this, and this isn't my life. And I don't want this anymore. And I demand the life that I'm here for. And then 30 minutes later, a friend from Sydney texted me, and um, she didn't know I was going through any of this. And she told me a friend of hers was coming, so I met her the next day, and you know, my life changed. My, you know, basically, my demands were met, and um, very quickly. And um, I went to a meditation that next day, and when I opened my eyes, the depression was gone, and I felt so alive and awake that you know and a new energy that I never had before and like possibilities were endless and I went I want to learn what this is and I need to learn everything everything that you know to this person everything you know I need to learn it and that's how my kind of spiritual life
0: uh, came to me and healing and everything yeah wow what an incredible journey to have been on and uh, do you think that the the depression that you experienced, was it mm, partly related to this this loss of, of um, I suppose, an identity and, you know, who I am in the world, almost kind of like the ego side of things and kind of uh, dropping that away and then this kind of space of like, so if I'm not that, then mm, what am I here for? Why, who am I?
1: Was it that kind
0: of experience? Totally,
1: that's exactly what happens. Totally, yeah. Yeah. I know that. So when you give up, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think we all go through Mm. it, and it's part of you know that depression was the dark night of the soul, which Mm. is something that occurs, and it's a normal, natural thing that I think everyone goes through Mm. when we make a big change in our life, and it takes courage. And you don't see it coming. You don't know that. if everyone knew that that was going to happen, they'd probably not go through it. (laughs) Or maybe on an unconscious level, people do, and they don't go through it, and they kind of remain in a situation that they're unhappy about um, and is unsatisfying. So I gave up my identity. And, of course, I had no new identity. Um, The supports that I had in place... When I left the lab, those supports weren't there. So my mother had been visiting and she'd gone back to Canada. And you know, my communities that I took part in, it was Christmas time, so nothing was operating. So the things that I would find nourishing and nurturing and supportive were not there. And all I had were my children and my, and my husband. And um, it really wasn't enough. And I hadn't replaced that identity with anything else or a job with anything else. So all the things that stabilized me were gone and I became completely destabilized. And without having an anchor into who I'm becoming, I had Mm. no idea what to do. So I was just floating and completely out of my body, completely Mm. not present in my life and reality. And um, you know, I think shouting out to the heavens was the best thing I could have ever done because I might have coasted in that state for much longer.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I've heard, uh, you know, this experience quite a lot from people where it's, you know, it, it gets to so far down the track of being in this space of kind of like, ah, oh, who am I, what am I doing? Um, and then almost like a surrender, like, help me. <laughs>
1: um, yeah.
0: Guide me. It's guide kind me. of obs-
1: hitting the reset button. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And it's hitting mm-hmm. the reset button. It's like, okay, that's who I, that's the part I played until now Who, and now I can become anything. Now Mm -hmm. I can be everything. You Mm -hmm. know, I can fulfill or express myself as I've always wanted to and couldn't in that environment because of, you know, all the rules and the systems and the structures and the consciousness in place, the cultural ideologies in place. You know, some of it's really restrictive. So having left that, I was now free and open to do anything. But without direction, you have nowhere to go. So you're just floating. And a lot of people get caught in those in-between worlds they get caught in that transitional space. And if they don't have mentors or guides or know to ask for it, just to put it out there, then they stay there. And if there's resistance to entering into that new world, into more of themselves and being free to re-identify yourself in a more expanded and you know, desirable way for yourself, then you get stuck there. And lots of people are, are still stuck in those spaces.
0: Mm, wow. So if anyone's listening to this who is in that space, they, they're kind of in a stuck space of, you know, knowing that there's more for them but not really knowing what that is, but knowing that this old life, you know, that it's not fulfilling them in any way at all. What would your advice be for them to do? You
1: know, you have to understand, mm. you have to understand what their life experience has been. You know, sometimes they're in a space because they've experienced trauma and so I can't just give advice about that. I need to, everyone needs support. I mean, mm. the number one thing, advice, the standard advice is who is supporting you? Yeah. Who are you reaching out to and being guided and being nurtured? and Because sometimes we don't know how to do that for ourselves. So we need good models who don't do it for us, but teach us or remind us. And so the supports can be a psychiatrist, um, a therapist, a friend, a yoga teacher, a parent, a child, like, you know, the, the more, the better. And then we could start to feel solid or finding community groups where there's lots of people going through a similar thing. And then we get to share those ideas. It's so great. It's it can feel so um, satisfying and therapeutic. So that's the number one advice when you're in that space, do not isolate yourself as tempting as it is, get connected, find people, reach
0: out, ask for help. Awesome. Great advice. Um, so, as you know, moving on, um, as you know, this podcast is called "Becoming Whole." So I just wanted to find out from you, from your perspective, what living a whole life is.
1: Mm. Mm. Juicy <laughs> <there>. <laughs> so So living your whole life is being free to be who you are, the messy bits, the sloppy bits, the refined bits with equal ease and not giving a crap what other people think of you and whether or not you're fulfilling their expectations. And, you know, I don't want that to be taken or interpreted as disrespect other environments or other people. No, it's be respectful to yourself and, you know, but not denying yourself the experience of seeing what it's like when you're fully you and fully okay with you as you are and who you're becoming.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I suppose I have like a you know a little thing that happened to me a little while ago. It was early in the early in the morning, and you know that point between kind of still asleep and just waking up. And um, I had a message or something came to me, and it was Claire. You need to love all parts of yourself—the bits that you deem good and the bits that you don't deem as good, because they're all you. And by doing that, your life is going to flow. And it was a really strong, powerful message because I realized yes. that I'd been rejecting parts of myself because I didn't like them, I suppose the shadow. And um, you know, and this message wasn't, it didn't come from uh, my head space. So it came from, well, I don't really know where, um, but it was really powerful and it really helped me to, I suppose, integrate and, care, yeah, I suppose, feel more whole. Um, yeah, and so is that kind of what you're talking mm. about, that kind of really comes to that place of just being truly you um, and not worrying <laughs> about what people are thinking and just really holding strong within that place?
1: Yeah, because I don't think we're going to escape judgment. We're making judgments all the time, and we can mm. be very judgmental when we see something out there, you know, in the world around us, what other people are doing that we – think is inappropriate or awful or stupid, and those are uh, us being awful and undignified and stupid. They're all representations of us and of the parts of us that we disown and reject and say that if that were me, I couldn't be lovable, but that's crap because it is me and I am lovable. So it's easier on myself, I can relieve a whole lot of suffering if I start to disown it and go, that's me, but that's not all I am. I'm a Mm. lot more than that, just aspects of me. And I need to embrace them and bring them to me. They're like children who have been, are a little bit lost or, you know, have been cast out of the of the club and we need to include them. You know, there's a lot of evidence in, in the research literature about inclusion and diversity and how we need to encourage that and actively practice that in the world, um, especially in children's education. And, um, services that support them we're no different with ourselves we need to include all the parts of us and see them as divine or valid and important and just all the different facets of the diamond that is us Mm. but when we reject them we perpetuate and prolong our own suffering because we're saying that's not me that's them they're shit you know and it's that's not the truth it's just that's a part of me and i need to accept that and um you know, and become okay that that's me and I'm working on it. I'm working on improving myself or, you know, um, I guess not rejecting that part. Yeah. And we can learn a lot from people around us. So the things that we don't like out there are the things that we don't like in here. Mm. And if we can make it into a game of, you know, being investigators and going, ooh, where, what area do I need to look, look at? What area am I growing in right now? What's my growing edge? And the thing that triggers the shit out of you, that's your growing edge. That's mm. what's in your shadow. That's what you've been judging harshly and forgetting that you've been that kind of behavior before too. Mm. And so the more we recognize that, the more we can develop compassion. Mm. Um, but we can't be compassionate towards anyone if, we're, if we keep rejecting those aspects of ourselves and keep disowning them
0: yes, so, that. yeah, yeah it, it's such a beautiful process um like you know and I think what you said about how when we actually notice our judgments but from this compassionate um investigative space curiosity rather than because what can happen and i've found myself doing it um has been like then i'm judging my judgments <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we get fearful it's sort of not nice yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah and so there's a whole lot of stuff around fear and fear mm. being you know a negative thing but fear is an ally it's telling me what i need to look at what i've been believing is you know the truth of life and it's not i'm going to challenge that i'm going to say i'm going to I want to see the evidence of that being true and I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to do something different that will defy that. But fear is, you know, like all our emotions, they have different roles and they all have different messages for each of us. But if we see them as negative things that are trying to detract us or block us from achieving success, then we're just gonna create a monster and then we're gonna fear that fear but then deny that we fear anything because oh no, we're all love. There's only love. It's like I can show you lots of things about yourself that you're not loving right now and all you need to do is looking at your reactions at other people and reactions at things that you see. Those are the things you don't love about yourself yet and so we can start to judge our judgments because oh no we need to stay positive i want to stay in a high vibrational state but you can't if you're denying anything if you're denying any of your experiences and any of your feelings and any of your thoughts then we can't we're not in a peaceful place we're in denial we're in rejection and judgment mm,
0: so yeah. True. yeah beautiful thank you so much for explaining that and um yeah sharing all of that that's amazing um I also wanted to talk to you about um, the understanding the difference between soul, intuition, and spirit. It's something that I'm constantly going, is that my soul, is that my intuition, or is that my spirit? And um, I know that you have a perspective on this, and I'd love it if you could share um, your thoughts on what the difference is.
1: Mm. Yeah, because the things that I've learned and experiences that I see is a little bit different than what I've seen, you know, out in the way I guess personal development spaces and and um, women's kind of groups and the way they talk about those three topics. So for me, soul is my home. Soul is me, the big me, um, or the big I, and it's doesn't have any emotion in it. It's quite um, objective and if you were to experience your soul presence, it's very blissful. So the only thing that really exists there is bliss and it doesn't have judgments. It doesn't reject anything. It loves everything. Everything's amazing because everything's divine. It is everything. So that's soul. And the soul communicates with our mind or with what comes into our awareness through our body. It communicates using emotions. And so we can feel emotions in our body And so that's when our intuition comes in, when we're experiencing, we're in a conversation or having an experience, and um, we can have a feeling in our body that can feel quite uncomfortable. And it could tell us, ooh, I don't want to do that because that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And when we're listening to that, when we're connected into our body, then we might follow that or if, you know, you bring up something to someone, an idea, and you're testing it with them, they might go, oh, that doesn't really feel right, or it doesn't really feel accurate. Or they'll have, you know, an instant reaction in their body, they might start crying. And yes, it's accurate. <laughs> you hit the nail yeah. on the head. And so that's a whole full body knowing, you know, your body knows. Mm. Um, and so that's a form of uh, your, I guess, your higher self communicating with you through your your embodied experience. But intuition itself, a lot of people use the word intuition to describe, um, you know, psychic kind of abilities. So communicating with guides or having clairvoyance or clairaudient experiences. I see that more as psychic because mm-hmm. those to me are the in the realm of the mind. So the mind and the soul to me are very different. They're, the mind is where we have all our Thoughts and our beliefs and our experiences and our memories and history and the things we've inherited from our family and our conditioning and our values and the collective memory and the collective consciousness. That's our mind and it's where our emotions are too. So the soul communicates with us via our mind at times um, through our emotions. But intuition to me, the way I understand it, is that it's just a pure knowing. You know, there is no feeling or there's just blissfulness and it's just a message from my soul. That doesn't come in words. It might come in like uh, just a knowing and I might feel it in my body or I'll just have that information and it'll be very quiet and there's no judgment to it. There's no demanding. It's very light. It's very soft. And it'll just be like, you know, your dream that you had. Claire, you need to love all parts of you, not just the part that feel good, right? (laughs) Um, So that it's just that. It's just this beautiful guidance, you know, this inner guide, and it's never pushy. It's never going to say, you need to do it like this all the time. It doesn't tell you what to do, it just tells you what is. Mm. And it's about the isness. The doing is how we use our mind as the instrument to take action that is guided by our intuition. So we need our intuition to be the guide and we need the mind to be the way we put that into action that is ethical, that is effective, that is supportive and aligned with that guidance and aligned with our vision of what we're trying to create in our life. Mm. So those are how I distinguish. And spirit, um, again, it's nature, which is also representation of my own inner nature, so the beauty that I see around me is also a reflection of that beauty in me. And I can communicate with that. I can have a dialogue with it. So I feel like the spirit is what communicates with me. Or when I tune into certain plants or flowers and want to use them for therapeutic purposes, I'm, you know, there's a guidance that can come in. So the plants are like talking to me. That to me is like spirit communicating with me.
0: Mm, beautiful. So- so it, would it be spirit or intuition when um, – and I've, I've had these experiences when I just – I have a bit of a shouty voice that's really demanding and really tells me what to do. Like I've had the soft voice and the ideas and the feeling, the intuition. I definitely know that. But then I've also had a shouty voice.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I would ask the shouty voice to declare itself and is it really telling me what I need for my highest good? Is it unconditionally loving? So this is the thing. When you're, mm. we're dealing with the spirit world – So the spirit world, I guess, are all the things that we talk about, like angels or the beings that communicate through crystals or flowers and plants and trees, Um, you know, ascended masters, guides, you know, ancestors. Those are kind of the things in the spirit world Mm. and um, or passed over relatives who have not completely um, integrated into the soul dimension. And they're still kind of lingering around because they still have attachments to this world. They still have sadness or anger or regret. They haven't fully left. So that's spirit world. So sometimes we can be communicating with those elements and not all of them embody unconditional love. And so we don't really want to be listening to anything that is not unconditional love. Mm. Some might be partially love. Some of that might be partially friendly, but partially not. And so if they're shouty and screamy, then I'd be like, thank you for, you know, letting me know what you think is important. But unless, you know, you're here for my highest good, that you're representative of my soul or my soul family or my, you know, that that team, my, you know, unconditionally loving team, I'm not taking your advice. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So we get tested just like in real life, you know, we don't necessarily trust everyone not everyone wants to help us and do things that support us some of them have their own ideas and intentions that benefit themselves at our own expense so we're not going to trust everyone it's the same thing when we're working in the spiritual world or the inner world not everything is they're all going to serve us. They might be serving our discernment. They might be serving Mm -hmm. our discipline and commitment and our degree of mental purity that we practice or purification. They're all serving us, but they might not all be unconditionally loving. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to work with anything or listen to anything or be guided by anything that does not embody unconditional love.
0: Mm, that's a so great, that's a great audience for me. Yeah. That's a great piece of um, wisdom, I suppose, in, in terms of, you know, when those voices come, you know, to, to discern whether they are for a highest good or not is to ask that question, you know, is it coming from a place of unconditional love? beautiful yes that and like with regards to the heart because in yoga we talk a lot about the heart space and we you know we're constantly doing yoga postures that are about opening up through the heart feel the expansiveness and all of that and um you know is the heart the soul or you know what what's the distinguish distinguishing characteristics then between the two
1: Right so the heart is your the heart is your access to the soul so your intuition comes in through the heart so you your ability to have empathy and compassion also are functions of your intuitive abilities so the heart is not the physical organ it's the heart chakra the heart center yeah. and it's where our intel it's a different type of intelligence it's not an intellectual or mental intel- intelligence it's a love intelligence and it's Um, whole role is whole desire or the whole function of the heart chakra is to give give love and give Mm -hmm. compassion and to feel and to be and um, to care and nurture so that's the heart and we love that Um, and it's the access to the soul pretty much and so a lot of people feel like their intuition is better access to the third eye and the third eye is more, more about your it's not like it's not connected to the soul. It's it's the part of us that sees the soul's plan or can access the soul's plan. But the wisdom of the soul comes through the heart. So if people are not doing practices that cultivate the wisdom or the capacity or the hardware of or the energetic hardware of the heart, their access to their soul or the true intuition or the true guidance will be limited or restricted. So we need to do practices that Open the heart and activate the heart. And the best practices that I've experienced, or the fastest ones, I would say, are sincere and genuine forgiveness exercises, Mm. mainly forgiving ourselves, um, doing service, serving humanity, serving your family. If you have children, they're your primary. They're the one, they're your dharma, you know, Mm. they came here. (laughs) So a lot of people think that serving humanity is more lofty or, you know, they have a mission and it's so big and, you know, family comes second. uh uh They're going to show you. (laughs) You're working for them first and foremost, which is a hard thing, hard for me to continually be reminded of, but Mm. um, doing what you're here to do, helping out elderly parents, looking after your parents again, That cultivates your heart, um, and it burns karma as well. It it helps you um, step into a different life flow or reality or vibration um, because you're coming from a place of service and devotion, and those are the things that build your heart chakra. And then you can access your soul because these are qualities of your soul. So the more you're engaged to them, the more access you have to your soul, and it's wisdom. Wow. So... Yeah. So generosity, we say giving, forgiving, and serving. Mm. So generosity, which doesn't mean you give at your own expense. You give until you have no energy left. No, it's remembering generosity is to the self as well, that we can yes. give to ourselves and generosity to others. You give you know, what they're lacking. And it's not just money or finances or food. It's, they might be lacking in kindness. So you give kindness. You know, you don't wait for their kindness. If they're being unkind, you can still be kind with boundaries. And that's being generous. So it's, again, having the wisdom to know how to use these things, which, again, comes from the heart. Beautiful. beautiful. And trusting, trusting yourself as well Mm. helps access your intuition, which is, I think, a hard one.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. For sure, yes. Very difficult, very difficult thing to, I suppose, um, you know, um, feel into. But is there anything that you could recommend actually in terms of building up the trust muscle?
1: Uh, Ah, yeah, you just have to, you know, put yourself in situations that you haven't planned Mm for and just go with it. So, for example, every time you run a yoga class, yes, you have the set things you go through, but the things that emerge that you didn't plan and you kind of just know what to do. And if mm. you think about it, then you'll talk yourself out of it. But if you just follow and do it, then it's probably going to be the right thing.
0: Mm. Have you had
1: experiences like that?
0: Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So those every, times when. Yeah. It- it's more planned and it's, you know, quite rigid and I'm kind of nervous, like, oh, how's this gonna go? What are people gonna think? You know, the mind's getting involved versus other times when I just feel into it and I just go, I've got this. Clay, you've got this. You so have yeah, trust. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. For sure. And the other thing that I find helps me because I when I do any healing work, I don't know where we're gonna go. I have no I'm not planning it out. Mm. It's I'm being guided and I can't do it well if my mind is in the way and I don't yeah. get to and I end up draining myself of energy because the mind control is incredibly draining. Whereas when I'm connected and remembering that the divine is doing the work through me, that I'm just the conduit. And I'm just like, this is all up to you, divine or God or whatever. I'm just, you know, kind of here for the ride. If this is your work, you're responsible for this. Then it's a much easier ride. I just kind of express the energy, how it needs to be shared in the way that's right in that situation, checking in Mm -hmm. with my client or, you know if it's a group and you know it's always the exact thing that need to be done but i couldn't go there if i was rigid and restricted and need to control the situation so Definitely. you need to be open yeah. yes the yes. only
0: way to trust is to trust yeah paradox yeah. so so yeah it's so true so true and um and have you found as well the more times that you have lent into the place of trust and getting out of your own way, getting out of the mind, the more then it's easier the next time, the next time, the next time. It's almost like a muscle that you build up.
1: Uh, I can't say that it's easier. I have a minor mm. freak out before I have I do anything. I know I'll be okay, mm. but there's mm-hmm. a freak. There's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to do this. Oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. You know, yeah. I go yeah, through yeah. that process <laughs> every single time. Mm. And so I just give room for that, you know, and yeah. it's very full on. And it's so easy for me to go, I'm just going to cancel that. I'm just going to cancel that. <laughs> but yes. I don't, because I know mm-hmm. it's bad news if I do. Yeah. And unless I'm sick, and then yes, uh. I have to. Yeah. Um, but the more you do it, again, you're building that trust muscle. So even if you have a minor freak out, you know, you'll be okay. And you know, everyone will be okay, because you're still able to do your job
0: mm. and
1: fulfill your obligations in that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And remembering, I'm only responsible for what I'm here to do. The rest is up to the other person. They have accountabilities too, as well as, you know, that third, and it's made that third kind of presence, which or that third space, which we can call spirit. We're inviting that universal energy to come in and determine, because it is in, intelligence in itself, and determine where this energy is going to go. And my job is to follow it and to express it and to use it in the way that I'm trained to use it for the benefit of everyone involved, including me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it takes away that pressure as well. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) It's like, oh, actually, and and it's not all about me, you know. It it isn't. That's the other thing. It's not about you. It's
1: about (laughs) and
0: it's bringing that through. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. I could talk to you like forever and I know that we've gone a little bit (laughs) over. So sorry about that. Um, I just want to just end. um, I know that you've got a really exciting book that you're writing at the moment um, and it's really important work. And I just love you to just explain what it is that you're developing at the moment and kind of where it comes from.
1: Oh, thank you, Claire. So I'm writing a book about um, my research that I'd been doing after I left academia and didn't know I was doing a research project until last year, five years later. Um, and it was just really studying different health practitioners in different hospital settings and learning about the things that are getting in the way of them enjoying their work and really fulfilling their vision, you know, practicing in the way that they wanted to practice when they signed up to become a doctor or nurse or genetic counselor. And I've discovered that different harms i call them that have gotten in the way of their ability to do the work that they want and to be as effective as they want with their patients as well as working with their colleagues and you know the work that they are here to do and you know essentially we're all healers when we want to help someone we're all healers so i talk about the things that get in the way the risks and how to change that so that you're practicing in the way that you want and bringing in your healing capacity your healing ability to heal a situation heal yourself Heal others, or to activate that healing, or to unblock that potential for people to heal, and so essentially it's how to be the placebo effect, and mm-hmm. um, and it's based on you know all this scientific evidence supporting what I'm writing, and it's taking what's been already um, declared in ancient scriptures and ancient wisdom um, that's universal and applying it in our modern healthcare and um, to humanize or rehumanize our healthcare systems and the way we practice. So, yeah, that's Beautiful. a little bit about the book.
0: Beautiful. And it sounds like it's, it's the perfect blend of like all of your experiences and all of the knowledge that you've built up, you know, drawing in on the, the Western science side of things, but also bringing in that kind of Eastern um, knowledge and wisdom as well and putting it into something that's also practical for, um, for now. So that sounds amazing. That's right yes thank you um when when does that when do you anticipate that that's going to be sort of launched
1: oh that's a good question Uh i keep have i keep moving the uh, deadlines but you know it'll come out when it's ready yeah and um it's slowly coming out now Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah, yeah hopefully by the end of the year there'll be something published
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to um, checking that out. Um, Is there anything else that we haven't covered off today that you're itching to talk about?
1: Oh, itching. Itching. Mm, (laughs) Itching. I think we've scratched all of those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Awesome. And um, where can people find you online? I'll pop the details in the show notes, but uh, where can people find you online?
1: Well, I'm Facebooked, I'm Twittered, I'm LinkedIn, um, I have my own website that's really for healthcare practitioners or anyone in a caring profession or helping profession. So yeah, under Dr. Natalie Martinek, you'll find me in all those places.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks so much for spending the time to talk to me and um, really going deep on some of these subjects. I've really appreciated the conversation. I think a lot of the people who are really listening have also done the same. So thanks so much, Natalie, and look forward to seeing Thank you. Again. Claire. And that's the end of another episode. I do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights. You can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website, claire-bradshaw.com or subscribe to iTunes to ensure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a rating on iTunes, as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people. My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world. And I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.